Well, hey, so today it's Easter. We, of course, we want to talk and teach and learn and just sit in the reality we have a risen Savior, Jesus. And let me just go ahead and say it. Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the hope of the entire world. And I pray that as we sit in this day, I pray that like it just washes over us that all of a sudden the hesitation that we have, and I'm thinking about myself, I'm thinking about the conversations I have every day, I'm thinking about the circumstances I encounter, and all of a sudden I find myself mitigating, is this the right time to proclaim that Jesus is their hope too? And I know that sounds silly, like, but just to think, you know, the person's talking about work and, and somehow, some way, it is a faithful thing to say, to tell them. Hey, listen, even in that circumstance, your answer, I know it sounds trite and trivial, but Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is your hope in your job. He's a hope in your marriage. He's a hope in your family. He's a hope in your singleness. He's a hope in your trial. He's a hope in your addiction. He is the hope of the world. So we're starting there. We're going to end there. And it's all there. So really, we're not going anywhere. We're just sitting in that. So I love it when something cool comes out that I didn't plan on saying. Like, I didn't plan on that, so I just thank God for that. So he's cooler than I am. Uh, But today is a little bit different. We're going to be looking at at Luke 24. You can go and open Bibles, click on apps, or use a Bible there underneath you if you need one. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for that Bible underneath your chair or a chair near you uh, to be our gift to you. Feel free to take it home. But while you're turning there, just let me go ahead and tell you Luke 24. It's a little bit different today. Typically, we kind of we, we teach what's called expository teaching, and it's really where we, we try to teach the intent of Scripture, and we really just pull our points, bang, 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 from the text. We're still doing that today. Of course, we can never do anything but that. But the fill of it is a little bit more narrative in form. So uh, I, I invite you to kind of engage your imaginations today. Not that we're making stuff up, but it's going to help you connect with the truth that God has for us today and the reality of a risen Savior's name being Jesus and Him being the hope of the world. So it's more narrative today. And what we hope to answer today is this question, is why does the resurrection of Jesus matter? Why? So that's where we're at. So we're going to start just right here, one verse, Luke 24, 1. It says, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. We're going to pause there before we get to the rest of the story. I thought it would be good for us to take a moment. Like I said, we're going to engage our our imaginations today. And for us to take a moment to, to really work to understand, and not just understand, but to identify with what's going on here. Okay? So do your best. Again, let your imaginations work. And uh, we've all got them. Some people think that only some people have imaginations. We all have imaginations. So let's all use them right now. So first, just to help you, we see this. It says they. It says they went to the tomb. Just so you know, uh, this is speaking of, of some women that had gone to the tomb. We know at the very least that it was Mary Magdalene and Mary, as the scripture, as the Bible says, Mary, the mother of James, also the mother of Jesus. So James and Jesus were half-brothers, uh, so, so as we know it's those two ladies, that's the they that we're talking about here, and they were going uh, to, to the tomb to do uh, some work of preparation. These ladies, of course, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, I mean, she, she experienced much forgiveness and healing, so they're close to Jesus. They knew these aren't just some random people, these are people that were close to Jesus. They knew him intimately. Also, these ladies, they were Jews. 
They were, they were of the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew, by the way. The Jews were the people of Israel. The, Israel. the Israelites were the people of God, God's chosen people, the people of which he had delivered his promise to the world through his covenant was held with them. They will be his people. He will be their God. So again, these are the Jews. So we're going to take a moment to make sure that we all identify what it would have been like to be a Christ follower at this time. So here we go. You're a Jew. Okay, you're one of the you're one of the people of the of the people of Israel at this time. Let me just remind you: your whole life, from the time you were a kid, you were hearing the teaching and the stories of the promised Messiah. And the Messiah was the one who was to come and to restore the kingdom, to restore the people of Israel, because they because they had sinned against God and they had find them they had found themselves again with, with judgment against them. So they they had heard about a promised Messiah. All their life, all your life, you just hear. And again, like you think about, like I, I, I like movies, and there's always the oracle, the prophecy, and the chosen one, and and you always, and, and even just yourself, like we, whenever you think about future promises, you, you kind of cling to them, but often you kind of think that they're just off in the distance. Like I'll cling to them; they're meaningful, but will it really be in my time? For us, maybe the second coming, the returning of Christ to call His people to restore the kingdom perfectly. I think it'll be in our life, but, you know, who knows? We, we kind of put it off like, yeah, it's going to come, but probably, realistically, probably not in my time, right? And so that's kind of just thinking about what it would have been like for these people in this time, this generation. They heard about the Messiah. All the generations before them had heard about the Messiah. But now all of a sudden, the one who was promised, the one who would fix it all, the one who would deliver his people, the one who would reestablish you and your people as the rightful possession, the possessors of the land, the one that you had heard about, the Messiah that would come and restore the earthly kingdom. And thinking again about the time there was a Roman occupation in this region, all of a sudden, this Messiah had come. Pause. You're a Gentile. What's a Gentile? Everything else but the people of Israel. Everything, if you're not Jew, you're Gentile. And they were, you know, they were, they were not... Uh, they were not the people of promise. And not only were they not the people of promise, they really, in their, in their eyes, in the way that they understood it, they didn't have access to the promise. They were outcasts. They were outsiders to, with no hope. And they, they had their own kind of worldly philosophy and, and whatever else. But they knew, as far as this prophecy was concerned, no access. That's kind of how they understood it. So you, you got to think, okay, you're a Jew, now you're a Gentile. You were an outsider, and all of a sudden this person came that said, no, you're not an outcast. You're not an outsider anymore. There's hope for you as well. And he said, wait, so this could be real. This guy, maybe, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to follow him as well. So now you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're following Christ. This man came. The one that you would, whether you're a Jew, the one you'd always waited for was there. The one you totally unexpectedly were collided, you collided into and you surrendered. You came, so now you're following him. You're following him. And maybe you're one of the ones that go with him everywhere he goes, and you're part of the crowd that listens. Maybe you're one of the inner circle. Maybe you're one of the ones that just saw him once, and you, now you're, you're following his teaching as best you can, whether, you know, from the people that are there and what you hear from other places. But you're following him. You watch him perform miracle after miracle. You've touched him whether it's through a handshake or a hug or just brushed up against them. 
You've touched this Messiah. You've touched the promised one. You've touched the one who is said to carry all hope. I mean, just sit with that for a second. It's real. You've listened to his teaching and you've heard teaching before and you recognize a different authority in his teaching. You know, just like we see some, we see his encounter on the road to Emmaus, we see it in just a minute, but you know that these people experienced it too, a burning in their, their hearts were burning in their chest as they listened to him teach. And it's different than what they heard from all the other prophets and teachers and Pharisees. You continue to follow him when the Jewish leaders, the ones that told you about him, the ones that taught you about the promised Messiah, now start rejecting him. You still choose to follow. You still say he is the promised Messiah. The, the teachers and the leaders that you grew up under are angry, possibly resenting you, possibly getting angry with you as well, but you still follow. And you say there's hope because he's finally come. I don't know what else happening, but there's hope. And the opposition that there is to him being who he says he is, it gets worse, but you still follow. Then maybe you're there, you possibly hear that he's, this, this one night, something's going on, there's a stirring, and he's pulled together those closest to him. He's pulled together just a few, and he's pulled them off to this garden. You're like, uh, this is weird. Or maybe you're there with him, and you see Jesus, he seems burdened, he seems like he's got a weight on his shoulders, he seems to your eyes stressed overwhelmed. He implores you, and you or maybe you've heard, you've heard about this. You, he implores, hey, pray. Stand with me this night. Pray that I might not succumb. And then you hear, possibly, or you're there, that it was so overwhelming that he, he, he was sweating so badly that drops of blood came from his skin just from the stress of his sweat. And you, again, maybe your foundation starts to waver. Maybe you start to wonder, Then your Messiah that was supposed to deliver you, the one that was supposed to reestablish the earthly kingdom, he just allowed the, the very people that were occupying and oppressing the occupying Roman soldiers to arrest him with no resistance. They came and they took your Messiah and they took him into their custody. They exerted their power over your Messiah. They took him in. And he didn't do anything. He said he should be able to, he should be able to strike him down. He should be able to call down angels. He should be able with his words. Just wipe him out. But he went without a word. Your Messiah that was meant to make you victorious seems like he's been defeated. You watch and you hear as he's beaten and as he's ridiculed and as he's, and as he's mocked and he's flogged and you... you What's going on in your head? You followed him. You believed. You watch him then condemned as a criminal. And he's executed in one of the most brutal, dehumanizing ways possible at the time. Your Messiah. Nothing happens. He just dies like the rest of them. He dies in less time than most of them. You watch him, you got to think, like at this point, like, okay, something's got to happen. Something. You watch him come off the cross. If you're still there, maybe you're hiding by this point. 
comes off the cross, and goes into the grave. All right. It's Friday. This is, this is where we're at kind of in this text. It was Friday. He was put in the grave. The Sabbath came. Then it's the next day. It's the third day. And all this is going on in their heads. I mean, people are, the people, of, the people that believed of what we know, they're hiding out. They're tucked away. These ladies go to do the, 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 the they're going to do the ritual work. They're going to prepare the body. They, they couldn't. They had to. They had to wrap it as as it was as the body was done. But they didn't have time to do all of the all of the other ritual work of preparing the body. And so they go first thing in the can on that third day, the day after, the day after the Sabbath. And they're going to prepare a dead body. That's their expectation. That's where we pick up. That's where we're at today. And I'm not here to imply that. All who believed abandoned their belief of who Jesus was. But I do want to say that there was great uncertainty and they were afraid and didn't know what to do. So the two Marys are going to the tomb fully expecting to find Jesus there. Like I said, the other 11 remaining disciples, they're, they're tucked away with what we think is about 120 others. You know, you imagine they're having good, you know, faithful conversations, maybe even praying, but just lots of uncertainty. So let's read the rest of our text and get to the good news of Jesus being our hope of the world. So here we go, starting back in verse 1. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. They were angels, by the way. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day Rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Praise God. So why does the resurrection of Jesus matter so much? So we're going to answer this by making inferences from this text a little bit, but that, those inferences are rooted in truths from all of Scripture. And we already said that Mary's, the, the, the Mary's here, the Mary's, the Mary's did not expect anything extraordinary as they went to the tomb. And they were like, they were going to begin to prepare the body. They were even discussing like, hey, how, how are we going to get the tomb open? How are we going to get the stone out of the way? They didn't expect anything. They're just, again, kind of, this, in a way, business as usual. 
But something extraordinary did happen, right? We just read it. And the truth of that something extraordinary broke through when the angel spoke these glorious words, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture for hopefully obvious reasons. And they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. The angels basically then said, hey, ladies, don't you remember? He told you this. He told you this would happen. He, he told you this had to happen. So it was all part of his divine plan and promise. Verse 7, as we just saw, says that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And it says that these ladies, they immediately went to tell the disciples and the others. Why? This is the answer to our question why the resurrection matters. The statement, he is not here, but has risen, changes everything. Not just in this story, but in every one of our lives. It changes everything. Up to this moment, the people of Israel, the Jews, these people only had earthly hope. They only had temporal hope, and all of their hope had been laid in the ground when Jesus was buried. They only had temporal hope. What were the things that they had hoped in, even in their hope of the Messiah? I'm not just talking about, like, I'm not trying to contextualize this. This was literally their hope. Their temporal hope of the way that they understood the promise of the Messiah was that he would come and establish an earthly kingdom. They, 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 they hoped in the possessing of an earthly kingdom, a temporal kingdom. They hoped in the rule of an earthly ruler. They wanted a ruler to come and make all those that had oppressed them and sinned against them pay. They wanted, to make, they wanted their, their ruler to come to make them subject. That's what they expected. They had a promise of a temporal inheritance. Again, it was here. It was now. But we know that this life is temporary. And in that, there's only a, they only had hope of a temporal deliverance as they thought. Guys, we do the same. We place our hope in earthly kingdoms. Again, I love America. I love America. America, all that stuff. I love it. But living here is not my hope. I love democracy. I love the freedom. I'm thankful for it. But it's not my hope. We place our hope in earthly rulers. It's, I mean, it's, it's on the forefront right now. And voting season. I mean, how, uh, just the amount of turmoil and fear over which leader is going to end up in our office ruling us. I agree. Let's vote our conscience. Let's vote our, our convictions. Let's vote in a way that prayerfully we can we can help the, the, the our country know and and experience the the benevolent blessings of a, of, of our God as His truth is is governed, but that's not our hope. Whoever gets elected, it's not our hope. But we often place our hope in earthly rulers. We place our hope in the possessions of this world, what we have, what we have more of than someone else. I mean, it's, it's so I don't know why. This just jumped in my head. I, can't, I, can't, I remember the first time this is so stupid. The first time I got an iPod Touch. And this is not a story for when I'm like 10. I'm like 30-something. Like iPod Touches had not been out that long. And I remember they came out. I couldn't, get an iPod, I couldn't get an iPhone because the company I worked for didn't do Apple. But I could justify 
an iPod Touch for a company expense, somehow. Um, but I, I was, so it was like it made my life. It was just weird. It's like it's just a thing. But yet we do that in, in, in more, gosh, more damaging ways, honestly, in, in, in all kinds of ways where the possessions become what we live for, the possessions of the world. We also find our hope in, in the freedom from temporary struggles. We think the good life, we think the, prom, the blessed life is a life that doesn't face struggle. Like, man, like you're, you know, name it, name it and claim it. Well, if I started, I got to finish it. You know, um, we think that's kind of the mark of a, a life, you know, the favor of God on a life is if we don't face struggle. The promise of, the promise of our Savior, the promise of our Messiah, the promise of grace is not that we don't face struggle, it's that we, are perse- that we persevere and that we are able to endure because of the grace and the hope in Christ and the Holy Spirit that we have. But yet, we, we often put that comfort on the pedestal. We put that comfort as our idol, the thing that we pursue more than anything. So we're really not that much different than the misconception of what was expected of this Messiah, Jesus. But now, in the fulfilled promise of all the prophecy that was fulfilled in Christ, the resurrected, Him being our resurrected Messiah, this temporal hope is taken to an eternal hope. We are promised an eternal kingdom where all, where all tears will be wiped away, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more shame, no more fear. We are made new as citizens of that kingdom now in Christ. And as the body of Christ and as the church and those who are redeemed and made new, we get to live in a way that calls attention to the reality of that kingdom, experiencing the kingdom both now and also waiting for the fulfilled kingdom to come where it is, it is, it is complete. So we all of a sudden don't just have this temporal hope of a kingdom, but we have an eternal kingdom that has no end. We also, in this eternal hope, we, are, we, we know that we are presently and forever ruled by a victorious, eternal, good, and eternal, good, sovereign king, Christ. In this eternal hope, we have a promise of our treasures being stored up in heaven. All of a sudden, the things of this world are not the things that satisfy. And praise God for that, because there is never enough. But man, all of a sudden, the life, the life that stores up the treasures in heaven is a life that says, here, God, my life is yours, open hands, all that I have. I want to be obedient to you. I want to live for your glory because that's what I was created for. And we think, when we think of treasures, we think of things that satisfy and that fulfill. There is no greater treasure than that, than the life offered. And that's when we know that we are storing up eternal treasures in heaven and not just temporal ones that will decay and rust and fall away. And in our eternal hope, we have a freedom that is based We have a freedom that is based, again, in the eternal promise, which, which transcends present circumstances. We're not grounded to hope in present circumstances. We do not consider this present suffering worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, as Paul writes in Romans. So here, our resurrected Savior, Jesus, takes our hope from a temporal hope to an incorruptible 
eternal hope. As we see in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. And let me just tell you, when there's no hope, all is meaningless. Why live for anything if there is not eternal hope? And I say that as an invitation prayerfully. And I, if there, I pray that it shakes foundations because there is no greater kindness than to all of a sudden embrace that. There's no hope without the resurrection of Jesus. Why be good? Why do right? If there's no eternal hope. Let me read. We actually taught from this passage last year at Easter. It's kind of hard not to come back to it. So we're going to look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians 15 as we kind of come towards the end here today. We're going to look at verse 17 and verses 20 through 22. It says, And it's on your screen if you don't want to turn there. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Everything else he said was a lie as well because that was one of his claims. I will rise. There's nothing you can trust. Without the resurrection, our faith is futile. Our faith is dead. Our faith is pointless. And we are still bound and slaves to our sin. But it's saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's saying, in saying that he's the first fruits, is saying that he is showing you what your future is, what your promise is. We will all die in this world. But in Christ, that's it. That's your only death, because then you enter into an eternal life. So he is our first fruits. He shows us the promise. And saying that again, we're all born into sin, but through him comes the resurrection. Again, are brought into life. So here's the glorious truth for today. Trying to, trying to get right to it again. We've already said it. Let's hear it. Jesus is the hope of the world. Hope to every need and every people. Our hope in Christ is not only alive today, it is eternal because he is eternal. And in him, so are we. So how do we respond to this? That's the glorious truth. Let's just pause for a minute just because I feel like we've been hitting hard for a sec. Let me just throw this in there one more time. He is risen. He is ready, Nori. He is risen. Okay, now, with a little bit of, like you thought about it, he is risen. Okay, like you realize what you're proclaiming, the hope we just talked about. It is in that truth. So how do we respond if we can say, he is risen, he is risen indeed, if that is a proclamation of your heart, of your life? First, and we see this as we see it in, the, in this text, first for some, it is to simply and radically respond. 
And I'm saying, if you're in here, and maybe you've never, never came to that place of understanding why we need a Savior, that there was a glorious Creator God who created all perfectly, created us to be in fellowship with Him, but in our rebellion, we caused a fracture in that relationship. And in His great love and grace, He sent His atoning sacrifice, His only Son, Jesus. And in that, Jesus is the Messiah, and His resurrection, we can know salvation, and we can know eternal life. So if that's you, if you've never come to that place of surrendering that to that need and acknowledging Christ as that Savior, maybe for you today is that you just simply respond. We saw here, we saw that they heard and certainly saw enough for belief, but this was the day that they fully believed. Again, the angel said, hey, remember you heard this. He told you this would happen, but it was this day that it all made sense. It was this day that it became reality. So maybe whether you've heard it a hundred times or this is the first time, maybe for you this day is the day that you surrender and understand that we need a Savior. His name is Jesus, and in that we have eternal hope. So I invite you to that. If, you, if that is where you're at, if that's what you're thinking, that's what you're praying, if to, to use some language that maybe you've never even thought about and you're like trying to find words, and you're like, maybe this will help. Something stirring, maybe your heart's pounding, maybe you're sweating, maybe you're fighting, maybe you're gripping tight, maybe you're angry right now. I say all those things, if that's any of those things describe you, and you've never come to this place of thinking or maybe surrendering to this, I would say, lean into that. Lean into that. God is probably calling you in. He's an invitation in Christ. So maybe for you today, it is to respond and believe for the first time. You're invited to respond today. Step into that glorious, to that glorious eternal hope of Jesus. Secondly, how we respond, if, you're, if you are a Christ follower, if you come to that place of understanding your need for him and you've called on him as Savior, if that's you, there's a few things. I would say don't forget the teaching you have heard. The teaching you've heard on the reality of who God is and what you've experienced and what he gave in Christ. We are forgetful people. We are. Cling to the word of truth given us in Scripture. Cling to the fellowship of the body of Christ as it is the way that God wants to, again, speak into you, share, uh, to sharpen you and to, uh, to spur you onward. We must be a people who fellowship in the Word constantly, both personally and together, sharing, what, sharing truths of God with one another, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs together. Speak the gospel to yourself and each other every day. We need to. We are forgetful. And be thankful when someone reminds you of that truth. Be thankful when someone rebukes you back to that truth. Again, that's a kindness. And lastly, how we are to respond is for all who believe today, it is to go and make the truth of the resurrected Savior, his name is Jesus, make it known. We saw that the ladies immediately went and told the others who were holed up, the, the, the disciples, the remaining 11, and the others gathered, gathered with them. They immediately went. We are saved into an eternal hope and also to a present purpose to again live as salt and light in this earth, holding out the truth of God, proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Paul said, I have nothing, other, nothing else to preach other than Christ crucified. That's all we have to say. That's what we have to proclaim. And as we live in a way that reveals the kingdom of God, we're inviting people into that reality of a crucified Savior for your benefit and mine, for God's glory. 
we see this charge that we are saved in this eternal hope and present purpose. Coming back to 1 Corinthians 15 in the last couple of verses, 57 and 58, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in summary, here's our glorious truth today. It's the glorious truth of why the resurrection matters. Because Christ died so that we don't have to. And because he rose from the dead and is alive, because of that, we can have eternal life. And in that, an eternal hope. And the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. So one more time, the church all around the world, let us proclaim this together. He is risen. He is risen. Can we, can we do it one more time? He is risen. Amen. Well, I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to re respond with one more song of worship. And I pray that today is a glorious day of celebrating our incorruptible hope in Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our hope in all of life, in every circumstance, in every woe, in every worry, in every victory, in every success. He is our hope. And we thank you, Lord, that, Lord, that in our sin, in our rebellion, you did not write us off. You did not cast us aside, but immediately proclaimed that you would send Jesus. Lord, that we could know you. You would send a Messiah, not just, to, not just to secure temporal hope, but eternal hope, a hope that comes out of relationship with you through him, a hope that comes from the promised eternal life with him. And Lord, we don't just cling to the life to come as our hope, as our only hope. We cling to the life you've given us now, the life that we are walking in unity with you, the Spirit, experiencing with you in the truth and the body of Christ. Lord, I pray as we walk out of here that we, that we are people that, that, again, this hope just overwhelms. This truth of being made new, regenerated, totally changed, transformed, and brought into this work of, of being made like Christ and being made more like Christ. Lord, that that just overwhelms us and, Lord, affects everything that we do, everything that we are, because it has changed all that we are. And I pray if there's anyone in here today, Lord, that needs to believe for the first time, needs to know that hope for the first time, I just pray that you would give them courage. I pray that you would give them peace just to say, okay, God, I cannot fight on my own anymore. I surrender. My life is yours. It still doesn't all make sense, but I can't ignore. My life is yours. Let us all be a people who remember. Let us all be a people that cannot drift through these days as if we don't have hope or purpose. Lord, we are your people set apart for your holy purpose in Christ. Lord, we are your people that you mean to take the message of hope and life and truth to this world. We are your people that you've given to love and build up one another. All that comes from the resurrection. Let us speak these truths to each other every day. Let us not let each other forget. Out of love, let us call each other in. Great patience, great humility, great grace, understanding that we are all on this journey, but also with great force and love. So, Lord, resoundingly let us proclaim our hope in you. In a very real and personal way, let us know that hope. 
We pray all this in the glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.